Praise the Lord. Amen. Four weeks of camp down, five more weeks to go, three youth conferences yet this summer, two youth camps in Romania yet to go, and God is good. Praise the Lord. I was thinking as Pastor was saying, young at heart, I was sitting with some octogenarians in Canada uh, a little while back, uh, from about 82 years old to about 83, 84 years old, and uh, <clears throat> two of them brothers and sisters, and then one spouse, and I said, how old do you feel on the inside? I said, not aches and pains, not, not that, just as a person, how do you feel? And, the, and the, the two little sisters, they said, oh, well, maybe, maybe 35, and they kind of giggled like they were, you know, <clears throat> like they were saying something silly. Forgive my voice this morning, uh, working through some sinus or whatever it is. But um, then I asked the man, who was about 82 years old, I said, sir, how old do you feel? He said, 17. I mean, did not hesitate one bit, just, just right there. So uh, if you want to feel like you're at youth camp this morning, that's all right. Just, just be, be, uh, be as young as you feel like being. <clears throat> Mark chapter 2 and verse 15. Mark chapter 2 and verse 15. If you love the Lord, say amen. amen. Let's stand to our feet for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Praise God. Praise God for America. We need the help of the Lord. It's still a bastion for freedom. It's still a place that takes in the refugees of the world that have no freedom. And it's still a, the greatest gospel sending nation in the world. I'm thankful that I was born in a country that my passport gives me entrance to more places than any other passport. It is the strongest passport in the world. But I am also thankful that the blood of Jesus gives me passport into a kingdom that America will never be able to bring us to. <clears throat> Mark chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible says it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need. I want you to highlight those two words in your mind this morning. No need. They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is a mission-sending church. If you would allow me to, I'm going to pray briefly in Romanian and then back in English. Tata te chemam asta să vii, umpli acest loc cu presența ta. Ești bun, ești puternic, tu ești sfânt. Un gene astăzi să primim de la tine putere în numele lui Isus doar pentru slava ta. Father, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you for your goodness. I thank you for this great church, Lord, and the people that are gathered here. I ask you now that you would love these, your people, through me. Love them through your word. Reach into the recesses of our heart that for one reason or another we have put up defenses and walls. And bring us into the vulnerable place of your presence where we find healing and freedom. We thank you for it in Jesus' name and God's people said amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Brother Eric. I'm going to say from the outset of this, of this message that I believe in the altar. I believe the altar is not a place for once a year or very special occasions, 
But I believe it ought to be a familiar place for the people of God. He said, My Father's house not shall be called a house of singing or a house of preaching, but it shall be called a house of prayer. If you go to a Catholic church, don't get upset when they have Mass. That's what they do. Every service. If you go to a Presbyterian church and they read the Apostles' Creed and they make you stand and say, We believe, we believe, we believe. Don't get upset because they read the Apostles' Creed. That's what they do. They're liturgical. And if you come to a Holy Ghost-filled church like Williston Church of God, don't get upset when we have altar call. It's what we do. It's who we are. We have come to meet with the Lord this morning. I've had the privilege of traveling to 39 countries around the world and all across the United States and Canada. And I have found one principle to be true in every city that I have gone to in this great nation. I don't know if you want to take notes, if you want to write this down. This is a, a deep, rich truth across our country. <clears throat> and it is this. You can never find good parking at Walmart. I don't know how far the closest Walmart is to Williston, but I can tell you without the gift of prophecy, you're not going to find good parking. I don't know about you, I pay my tithes. And if I pay my tithes, I believe the Lord to rebuke the devourer, open the windows of heaven, and I'm looking for favor everywhere I go. Sometimes it takes 20 laps before that favor shows up, but I'm looking for it. And uh, it's, it's not the fact that there's not available parking. It's the, it's the fact that, that it seems like so many of the handicapped spaces are open. And of course, where well, I'm not going to take them, and I'm not upset that they're available for those that need them. What I am upset about is when some 16-year-old whippersnapper... Y'all know what whippersnapper means in Williston? When some 16-year-old little, little person takes the, steals the handicap tag from their grandma and puts it in their car and parks in handicap and then goes into Walmart and sits on a scooter and rides around the store and isn't even buying anything. This isn't preaching. This is just therapy. I needed to get that off my chest. I'm feeling better already. It's frustrating because in our nation, we believe that if you have a handicap or a disability, you ought to have an advantage. There ought to be something afforded to you to make it easier for you to have access. The word handicap actually is not originally a, a word about disability. It is originally a sporting word. Now, someone told me last night that your pastor plays a pretty good game of golf. Golf and most sports are a foreign subject to me. I was raised so strict, it was all sin. We weren't allowed to play none of it. But I have heard, and I, I you know, when I traveled from my Bible college, the friend that I traveled with, he loved golf. And so I kept pestering him, what's this rule about the handicap? What's this, what's this word handicap meaning golf? And if I understand it right, it means that if you play bad enough, on a, on a consecutive basis that you actually get an advantage. Now that's my kind of rule in sports. I think there's also a handicap in bowling and it just means that you, you, not that you have a physical disability, it means you're not good. And so if you're not good, then you need to get a little head start. And so that's, that's, what, that's what that picture is. You get, to, you get to start the race a little earlier to equalize the chances of winning. And if that's true in the natural realm and in the athletic realm, why is it that when we come into the kingdom of God, we allow the enemy to tell us that the only thing we can access is only based on our strength? And so we put on our best clothes, we arrive to a beautiful place of worship, and we put forth our best self as if that is what God is going to see and going to receive. I've come to tell you this morning, it is the opposite. There is front row parking for those that need the Lord. 
In this kingdom, it is not your strength, but it is your weakness that allows you access to the things of God. Think about when God wanted to, wanted to write the Declaration of Independence for Israel. Somewhere around maybe three million people are going to be set free from bondage. He didn't find an eloquent tongue, Thomas Jefferson, to pen the Declaration of Independence for Israel. He found an 80-year-old, stammering, stuttering Moses, said, I've not spoken Egyptian in 40 years. I'm not a good public speaker. God said, I'm going to give you a four-word sermon. You preach it, I'll do the rest. Let my people go. Stutter your way through it. Give it to Aaron to preach on your behalf. But you are going to go, and I'm going to use not your strength. I'm going to use your weakness. When God wants to slay a giant, 12, 15 foot tall, named Goliath with bad breath, he didn't find somebody with bulging biceps, triceps, quadriceps that can bench press 500 pounds at the gym like Pastor Wes. Come on. Hallelujah. If a church gives you a good offering, you've got to bless the pastor. You've got to let him know you appreciate him. What did he find? He found some, some tiny little David. If you had a picture Bible when you were a kid, man, that was an awesome, searing memory to see the page where David's holding up the head of Goliath and the head is like as big as half as big as the body of David. Nobody's saying, yay, David, you're the strongest. What are they saying? Yay, God, that you showed your strength on behalf of the weakness of someone in our midst. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, I asked you to remove this thorn in the flesh three times. I'm thankful he didn't tell us what the thorn was so we can apply it to our thorn. But when he says, I've asked you, the Lord responded in red letters. The Lord spoke to him and he said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I I hope you reach into the recesses of your life today and take inventory, not of all of your talents, your gifting, your skill, but find the area of your life where there is a limp, where there is a struggle, where there is a shortcoming, and begin to expose that to God and find that is what brings you near to the presence of the Lord. I want to speak briefly about three different people that had a handicap. And the first one is Zacchaeus. We read about Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. The Bible said that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was an IRS agent of his generation, but not representing his own country, representing Rome. He was a hated man. He was, he was taking too much money. He was stealing. He was robbing from people, and he was pocketing it himself. But he began to hear the rumors that Jesus was going to come through his town. And the Bible said in the King James that he wanted to see him who he was. He didn't just want to be a bystander. He wanted to encounter the identity. Why is he here? What makes him different? What's really going on in this Jesus guy's life? I want to know who he is. But when he came to the side of the road to see Jesus, the Bible said Zacchaeus could not see him for the press because he was little in stature. Do I have anybody that will confess you're kind of short? Do I have any short people here today? Are you not lifting your hand or you're not tall enough for me to see your hand? I can't tell what's going on right now. Okay, I see one. There you go. Thank you. Short people know what Zacchaeus was going through. Short people have stools in their kitchen so they can reach up in the cupboard. Short people get those grabber things off QVC so they can get things up out of the closet and out of the garage. Short people figure out they got to do twice as much to get the same effect as other people that are able to do it with great ease. I had a friend in Bible college. He was, he was short, but he was athletic and muscular. And any time he was in my room or anybody's room, he's always flexing in front of the mirror and showing off his muscles. As I got to know him, 
he told me, he said, Robert, I am a, actually one of, a, of a, a set of fraternal twins. I have a fraternal twin brother, born on the same day, same parents, but he is about seven inches taller than me. Now, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, <laughs> it's one thing for your older brother to be taller than you, because then they're older. They can run faster. They can jump higher. They can, they can get the jump shot and the basketball game better. They can do whatever. But if your brother is the same exact age as you, and your little legs have to take twice as many steps to get to the finish line as your brother, man, something's gonna, that's going to affect you. I begin to realize he's not staying in the mirror flexing, saying, look how big I am. He's really compensating, saying, God, why couldn't you have made me a few inches taller? You ever been reaching for something up on a shelf and said, God, a few more a few more inches and I could get it. A few more inches and maybe Zacchaeus would have been tall, dark, and handsome. A few more inches and he would have been the quarterback for his school team. A few more inches and he would have the advantage. But instead he had the handicap of size. And if he lived in 2023 America, he probably would have allowed himself to become a victim because of that and found some program to say, well, since I'm not as tall as everybody else, I need to feel bad for myself and give myself an excuse to have a learning disability and maybe take a prescription for something and sit with a counselor three days a week and then I'll just feel bad and I'll be a victim. Thank God he did not become a victim. Otherwise, his story would have never made it into the pages of God's Word. But the Bible said instead of going home and sulking and saying, God, it's your fault. You made me short. If you made me taller, then I would have been able to see your son. I would have been, it's your fault. There's people in church all the time that do that. God, it seems like everybody else is able to lift a hand and reach up into your presence and get a hold of some of the help of God. But when I come to worship, it seems that I don't have the advantage. It seems that somehow I'm not able to reach where others are reaching. They're weeping. They're speaking in tongues. They're having an encounter with God. And I don't have that access well then let's take a note from Zacchaeus he didn't go home the Bible said he ran ahead of the crowd he climbed up in a tree and he went out on a limb now this man is dressed in very fine clothes he's made a lot of money but you know his family his friends his children maybe his mama are screaming and hollering at him get out of the tree they're going to make fun of us at school tomorrow they're going to say your dad's a monkey man he's climbing in the tree we have this visitor from Nazareth and Zacchaeus says I told you stop climbing trees you're a grown man get down from his wife I got to wash those clothes you're going to rip those it's a brand new outfit hey I've got to do laundry later get out of the tree husband and but when you make up your mind you've come to see Jesus you don't really care what everybody else has to say about it anyways i would to god that your whole family would come to the altar and not just to come and stand and go through a ceremony but come because you want to engage and connect with the presence of god but sometimes you got to make up your mind if daddy's not going i'm going if mama's not going i'm going if husband's not going i'm going i am going to encounter god and they will see a change in my life and they will know it was worth it now jesus is passing through this town and he is, he is in the flesh. He is fully God, fully man, but he has, a, he has a physical body. His body starts to get hungry. I have learned something as I travel. It's not always about finding the place that's going to give you the best food. Because you can have filet mignon with someone who tolerates you, and it doesn't taste as good as fried bologna with someone who celebrates you. Can I get a witness? I would rather have saltine crackers with somebody that celebrates being with me than to have the finest meal with someone who's just putting up with me. 
How do you find the people that are really wanting to be in your presence? All of a sudden, Jesus scans by the crowd. He sees a lot of people with their judgmental glances on the side of the road. All these people just coming to see something, be entertained. And then he sees, whoa, he really wants to see me. He climbed up in a tree. He went out on a limb. People are making fun. That's the guy I'm going home with. He said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down from there. Today I'm going to your house. And when Jesus is there, Zacchaeus get under, gets under conviction. He says, the half of all of my goods I give to the poor. If I've wronged any man, I restore it fourfold. Because when your heart gets saved, your money gets saved too. Amen. Come on, don't tell me your, your soul's ready for heaven, but you're still a part of every other system of this world. I know you didn't want sanctified preaching on Sunday morning, but if your soul gets saved, your music you listen to gets saved. If your soul gets saved, your entertainment gets saved. Come on. It's not just a Sunday morning tradition. Everything in our life, we are new in Christ. Thank God. And so salvation comes to a soul. Jesus says it. He says, today salvation has come to your life. Zacchaeus. And then Jesus said something that the masses on the street corner never heard. Jesus said something that the majority of people that wanted to be entertained in a religious context would have never experienced. Because the Bible says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. I don't just want to get a a broad swath of what others are experiencing in a corporate setting. I want to engage the very personal presence of God. Jesus went home with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is about to get the mission statement of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus said, for I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus revealed who he was to a sinner that needed him. Remember, Jesus was sitting at the table in Mark 2, the text that we read, and they said, why is he here with these publicans and sinners? And Jesus said, because they need me. How many know the Pharisees needed salvation just as bad as everybody else at the table? But what happens when when we approach the Lord with our strengths and we no longer recognize our desperate need? If you, if, you, if you need to take a nap this morning, some of y'all, you don't sleep good at home. You get in the presence of God and the peace of God falls on you and you get your best sleep during church. If you're going to sleep for the next few minutes, this is all I came to say. This is the whole message right here. All you need to know God is in need. But if you do not need him, you cannot know him. You cannot approach him with self-dependency, self-rule, self-governed, self-gratified, self-preservation. You have to come with some desperation that causes you to go out on a limb, that causes you to stand out from the crowd and say, I am here to meet with you. And that kind of extending desperate faith causes Jesus not to just pass by you, but causes Jesus to go home with you. How many say, I want Jesus to go home with me today? I didn't just come to be entertained. I want him to go home with me. Praise the Lord. I don't know how long Jesus stayed and When the revelation came to Zacchaeus, and the Bible doesn't say he had this revelation, I can't help but think that it had to have come to him at some point. Maybe it was days, maybe weeks later, and he finally is going to reach for something up on a a shelf, and he probably is thinking the same thing he's thought a thousand times in his life. God, why couldn't you make me a few inches? No. No, if I was a few inches taller, if I was the tallest man in my town, I would have looked over the crowd, I would have seen Jesus, and I would have never climbed the tree. 
And if I never climbed the tree, I wouldn't have stood out from the crowd as a pursuer of the Lord. And then Jesus wouldn't have selected me to go home with. And if he didn't go home with me, I wouldn't have gotten saved and changed my life. I could see Zacchaeus right there in the closet just having a little dance and say, I'm glad I'm the shortest man in my village. I'm glad God, I'm glad when he knit me together in my mother's womb, he said, we're taking out a few inches of your genetics. You're not going to be as good of an athlete. You're not going to be as as attractive to some of the girls in school. Amen. But when Jesus comes passing through your town, it is your handicap of size it is your weakness that will give you the advantage to encountering the son of God do you have a weakness do you have something you're struggling with don't don't hide it from the Lord allow it to give you front row parking to the presence of God number one is Zacchaeus number two is Paul Paul wasn't handicapped by size Paul was handicapped by time he says in one of his epistles he says I'm an apostle born out of due season If you remember, Paul was not one of the 12 disciples. He was not there for the Sermon on the Mount. He was not there for the feeding of the 5,000. He wasn't there when Jesus walked on water. He wasn't there for the Last Supper. He wasn't there for the crucifixion, the burial, or the resurrection. He wasn't even there on the inauguration of the church of the day of Pentecost. When we see Paul, the first time we see him, he's holding the garments of those stoning Stephen. And the next time we see him, he has writings to go to Damascus to find Christians to persecute them and most likely to kill them. And then he encounters Jesus on that road. And he says, Lord, Lord. And then the Lord reveals himself to Paul and he says this to him. He says, I have called you to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, I, I, I want to bring that into perspective. All the other disciples, they were preaching to Jews in the other cities and villages that they went to. Peter was going to go in the next chapter, in chapter 10 of Acts, he was going to go and preach to some, some Gentiles. He really didn't want to, but he was willing to because God made him go. But God was saying, Paul, I'm sending you. Do I have any 100% Jew? Not, like, not part. Do I have any 100% Jewish person in this room? Okay, so then we're Gentiles. That's us. God said, I'm calling you to go to all the other people that my other disciples aren't going. It would be kind of like this. It would be like you missed preschool. You missed uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. You missed freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year of college. You missed it all. You happen to show up on graduation day. They call your name even though you weren't even a student enrolled. You go up on the stage. They're passing out diplomas. And when they hand you one, even though you weren't really an enrolled student, the president of the university says, you are going to go further and do more than all these other graduates. What? How does that work? Paul wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was not in the Bible college with Professor Jesus. He's handicapped by time. I don't know if you believe in time machines, and I don't even know if they could be real in the scientific realm, but I believe in the time machine in the spiritual realm. It's called grace. Grace does not send you back to remedial courses and say, well, if you've missed a few days in the will of God, you've got to go catch it all back up. No, the Bible says we have to do our first works over again, but that doesn't take 37 years. That means you come back to repentance. You come back to being washed in the blood. You come back to making Jesus Lord of your life. But friend, once you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, how many believe God has a plan for every day of your life? How many believe God has a perfect will for your life? What happens if you miss a day? What happens if you miss a week, a month, a year? What happens if you miss 50 years? Is it over? 
I mean, if your devil's anything like my devil, he shows, he may not talk to me all day long, but when I kneel down to talk to the Lord, the devil's there to talk to me and say, you're, you're worthless, you're good for nothing, you didn't even fast 40 days last month. There's not 40 days in a month. I was just checking to see if y'all were still with me. That's the way the enemy talks to me. You've not done enough. You're no good. You'll never be enough. You missed it over here. You missed it back there. Now, anytime God wants to use you, you'll be two weeks late and a dollar short, and you'll never be able to catch up. Isn't that the the system of works-based religion? The enemy says you'll never be able to catch up, but there is something in the kingdom of God called grace, that when you come into the grace of God, He picks you up out of wherever you backslid or wherever you missed the will, and all of a sudden He transforms transfers you to July of 2023 and drops you off and says, now be the father you're supposed to be. Well, my kids are grown. Then be the grandfather you're supposed to be. Now, now walk in my spirit. Now walk in the kingdom of God. If you don't believe that, then we would all be disqualified. But grace says, I'm going to put you in the center of my will today. Who wrote more than half of the New Testament? I don't even know where Bartholomew went. Alpheus? Who is he? When we get to heaven, we got to ask some of these disciples, where did you go and what did you... I don't know, but I know what Paul did. He wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, 1st and 2nd... Uh, he, he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He wrote so much. He, he, he did more. He went further. He started more churches. Why? Because God knows how to catch you up. When you're handicapped by time, the devil says you've not done enough. But this gospel is not about what you've done or haven't done. It's about what Christ has done for you at Calvary. And when you come to the Lord, not just for the sins that need to be forgiven, but for the calling and the work that is left in front of you, the purpose, the destiny of your life, then you don't come based on your resume. You come on the basis of the resume of the cross. And then God says, based on His finished work, I can put you back in my work and today and the perfect will of God. Isn't that good news to know you can go home today, go home with Jesus and go home in the perfect will of God today. Well, you don't have a devil that condemns you like he does me. If you found that out today, you'd be blessed. You'd be already in the aisle dancing a little bit. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I don't have to go home sulking. I don't have to go home condemned. I can be in the will of God. Hallelujah. The last one we find the book of Mark, chapter 10. This man was not handicapped by size or by time. He was handicapped by sight. I'm going to read it for you. Mark, chapter 10, and verse 46. The Bible said, There came to Jericho, as they came to Jericho, as he went out of Jericho with his disciples, and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus. Let's stop right there. Bar is the Hebrew prefix for the son of. Timaeus is his father's name, so Bartimaeus is not his name, it's his father's name. And blind is not a name, blind is a label based on a condition. Isn't it amazing how relevant the Bible is? 2,000 years later, we do the same exact thing. We don't know this person's name, but we know their label based on their weakness. You see somebody in town and you, you're trying to tell something about it later. Well, who was it? I don't know. You know, they're, they're related to over that cousin they got married to. You know, they, they got this situation. You know, they've been married five times. You know who I'm talking about. We, we don't know their identity, but we know their struggle. We come into the house of God. 
We, 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 we get into the presence of the Lord, worshiping the man of God, bringing the bread of life, the word of God. And half of us are saying, mm, I'm sure, sure glad so-and-so's here. They really need that message. It's not because we know them. It's because we know their weakness. And then the altar call is given and somebody's saying, well, I wish they'd hurry up and get down there because I know God's talking to them. Don't even need the gift of prophecy to come pray for them. You've already shared everything on the, the gossip chain, I mean the prayer chain, and told them everything that you knew and didn't know about them. Blind is not a name, it's a condition. The son of Timaeus sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, don't forget that phrase that he heard. He heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is a town up, the, up, up, up in northern Israel. Nazareth was a, a place of country folk. And so in another place they said, could any good thing come from Nazareth? But science says if you lose one of your five senses, your other four senses become stronger. And so though he couldn't see him, the Bible said he heard. I was preaching in Kenya a few years ago at a school of the blind and in certain villages they think it is such a curse to have a blind child that if you have a blind child sometimes parents never let them leave the house and don't even tell the neighborhood that they have a child and so the school will go from village to village and say bring us your blind bring us your blind and there was maybe a hundred or two hundred kids out under this big tree and I'm just on the grass and I'm preaching to them about blind Bartimaeus and I start stomping my feet and said Jesus is coming and all these little kids started giggling they didn't know I was white and they were black. They, didn't, they couldn't see me. They're blind. They heard my accent, I'm sure. But something else connected because they felt footsteps. They weren't tuned in to something to be entertained by an American showing up. They felt something. They heard something. Blind Bartimaeus couldn't see him coming. Everybody else just wanted to see something, wanted to be a spectator. Blind Bartimaeus, he began to put things together. Well, I heard that he did miracles over here. I heard that he healed somebody over here. I heard my grandma say one day this is going to... I heard the elders say when the Messiah comes. And the Bible said that when Jesus got closer, blind Bartimaeus began to cry out. Listen, he didn't call the man from Nazareth, he cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they said, hey now, we don't shout like that at this used to be Pentecostal church. We're much more sophisticated now, and that makes us very uncomfortable. And you know what happens when people tell you to be quiet, but you're desperate for the Lord? The Bible said he cried out all the more. <laughs> See, you need a need that messes you up so bad you don't care about your social standing anymore. You just care about encountering the only one that can heal you and bless you and forgive you. Amen. He cried out all the more. The second time he didn't even cry out Jesus. The second time he just cried out, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible said Jesus stood still. He said, call that one to me. Who? Call that one that knows who I am. Call that one that didn't call me a man from Nazareth, but call me by my messianic name, Son of David. He said, you're not a man from up the road. You're a man come down 40 and two generations from the loins of Abraham. You're the one prophesied that will sit on the throne of David. You are the Messiah. You are the answer to our nation. You are the only one that can fix what I'm going through. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still. I'm telling you this morning, it is not your strength that will get God's attention. You cannot impress Him with a high note. You cannot impress Him with your bank account. You can only impress Him. Amen. When you say, God, I 
am not God. I have weaknesses. You are God. You have no weaknesses. I don't casually approach you. I desperately cry out to you. Have mercy on me and Jesus will stand still for you too. And so when he cried out to him and Jesus said, come to me, bring him to me. He casting away his coat came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And blind Bartimaeus said, that I might receive my sight, Lord. And Jesus said something you would never say to a blind man. He said, go thy way. Blind people don't have a way. They don't have maps and compasses. They put their arm around somebody. They're led places they don't want to be. They're dropped off in the dark. They don't know how to find a way. But when Jesus said, go thy way, his eyes popped open. And for the first time in his life, blind Bartimaeus looked north, south, east, and west. And he could go any way he wanted to. And you know what the Bible said he did? The Bible said immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Sis, could you help me on the piano? Thank you so much. Maybe your need is to give you access to Jesus so that your answer in meeting him is not just to get a healing or a breakthrough or some family trauma reconciled or some issue in your life or your health, but maybe your need is not to get the need met as much as it is to be introduced to the need meter. Listen, you don't have the advantage because you've graduated from Bible college and you know Jehovah Jireh means my provider. You have the advantage because you've worked hard, you've spent everything you had to cover those bills, and there's still not enough food to put on the table. And you lay hands on your cupboards and your pantry, and you say, Jehovah Jireh, I've done everything I know to do. If you've never laid hands on inanimate objects, you're just not my... I don't know what you do, where you come from. Amen. If you've never stood on top of bills and said, Lord, you said everywhere the sole of my foot. you got to get a little bit radical when you're desperate. If you've never gone to a place of faith and said, God, I can't feed these babies without your help, and then a knock comes at the door and somebody from church says, I'm shopping over there. And the Lord said, get two of everything you're going to get for yourself and drop it over by y'all's house. And I just, I just wanted to give you a little bit of groceries. Oh, you didn't have to know the Hebrew about Jehovah Jireh. You had a need. You called on the Lord. And now you know him yourself. As the one who provides. Jehovah Rapha means the Lord our healer. But it's not, it's not because you've studied it out. As much as you've been in a hospital bed when the doctors couldn't diagnose you. And couldn't figure out the right protocol to fix you. But in the midst of your need. You said Jesus I need healing. I need you to be my healer. When the great physician shows up in that room. You don't know him because you studied him. You know him because you needed him and he met with you. To the last of the churches of Asia in Revelation 2 and 3. He's dealt with Thyatira. He's dealt with Sardis. He's, he's, dealt, with, he's dealt with Ephesus and Pergamum. But then he comes to the last. If you believe that the, the churches are a type of, of prophetic seasons, then the last one would be us. The church of Laodicea. He says, you're my church. He says, but I have something against you. Because you're neither cold nor hot, but you're lukewarm. I wish that you were cold or hot, but since you are only lukewarm, I will have to spew you out of my mouth. Excuse me. <clears throat> that means that the church is a part of the body of Christ. But there could come a condition, hear me today, friend. There could come a condition in the body of Christ 
that would be so malignant and toxic that though we would still continue to gather, we would be removed from the body and no longer be in the body. There's a lot of people still gather from Sunday to Sunday. It doesn't mean they're a part of the body of Christ. I'm not angry with anybody but the devil. But it would be foolish for us to say, oh, we're all doing the best when we only show up with our strengths and we don't come. So what is the definition of lukewarmness? He says in the next verse, Revelation chapter 3, he says, For you say to yourself, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. We all need the Lord. We desperately need the Lord. If you're raising children in 2023, you desperately need the Lord. If you're trying to keep your marriage together in these last days, you desperately need the Lord. If you're trying to lead a church in these last days, we desperately need the Lord. But we could so gloss over our need to say, well, I've got health insurance. I've I've got some put away for retirement. Things aren't really that bad. Why does God move? Why does God move across the world on mission trips the way he does? Because they live on $2 a day. Because they don't have doctors available for their needs. Because they don't, they, they don't have hospice. Because they desperately need help. And where there is a need, there is access to the presence of God. Jesus says to Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea, we use it to approach sinners, but really he's not talking to sinners. He's talking to the church. He said, I stand at the door and knock. Can you hear that? Why are you knocking at the door of your own church, Jesus? For Jesus to be knocking at the door of his church, it means he's on the outside trying to get in. And he doesn't say if you'll have a board meeting in there and invite me back. He doesn't say if the deacons will agree on it. He says if anybody in there still needs me and they will open the door, I will come in and I will have fellowship with them and they with me. How do I open the door, Brother Robert? Just tell the Lord I need you. Would you stand with me to your feet? I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. I'm going to ask believers. I'm going I'm to ask believers that that are living for the Lord and the best grace they know how to live, but you are serving the Lord. And even though you're serving the Lord, if you would be honest today, now listen, I'm not asking for you to lift your hand if Aunt Lula May posted on Facebook last week that she stubbed her toe in Kansas and it's getting a little bit black and blue. That's not the prayer request I'm asking for right now. I'm asking, are you willing to be more than a bystander? Is there anything in your soul? Do I have any believers here that are walking with God and yet they would say there is a desperate need in your life that you don't want to stand on the side of the road. You want to encounter God. Do I have anybody in here like that? I need the Lord. Can I see your hand? Lift it up high. Lift it up high. Lift it up high. I need the Lord. I need the Lord. I need Him to, I need him to invade my life today. Thank you, friend. You can put your hand down. Now, would you just for a moment bow your head and close your eyes? We close our eyes to tune out every distraction. And in the solitude of your eyes closed, it's you and Jesus. The greatest need in this room is not for physical healing, not for financial breakthrough, not for reconciliation with a spouse. The greatest need in this room is for the soul that does not know the Lord, for the soul that is away from God. And if you have the greatest need, then that means you have the greatest access to have that need met. 
It doesn't mean that you're less than. It means that you get the first row parking to the power of God to make the, the most magnificent change in your life. You saw you're in a room of people that lifted their hands and said, we desperately need the Lord. So you're not alone. But I want to know, friend, are you here today and you say, my need is not for a little upgrade or a little blessing. My need is to get right with God. I've got sin in my life. I need forgiveness. I need the Lord to save me. If that's you, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you, would you lift your hand right now? Lift it up and back down. Lift it up and back down. I need forgiveness. I need the Lord to wash me. Thank you. Thank you. I need the Lord to make me new. God bless you. Another moment. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Today's your day to get right with the Lord. He's a miracle worker, but he's also the Savior of our soul. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. So many hands. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Church, look this way. I'm not going to ask you to come and kneel today, but what, what would be a blessing? I think it would be a great blessing if we would come as families. Hands lifted across this place need the Lord and also hands lifted that need to get right with God. I want those that just need the Lord to begin to step out so that the other one beside you, around you, behind you, on the inside of the aisle feels like, well, if they're getting out because they need God, then I can go too because they're not alone. They need forgiveness. You need God to be a way maker in your life. Could we come? Could we come as families? Could we come and stand across this house? Everybody that's willing, come. You lifted a hand to get right with God or you lifted your hand because you need to meet with the Lord. Oh, don't come to be a bystander. We're going to call on the Lord. Son of David, have mercy on me. We're going to believe that we can encounter God today. Come all the way up front. They're going to come behind you. Get up real close. Bring your feet right up to the edge of the altar right here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. The songwriter said, pass me not. Oh, gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling. What did he say? Do not pass me by. How do we keep the Lord from passing us by? We expose our need to him. Not my brother, not my sister. It's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. When you arrive in this altar, would you lift both hands to the Lord? Would you begin to call on him? Come on, don't worry about what the person beside you is praying for. They're not worried about you. They've got their own need. Would you begin to lift it up to heaven? Jesus, I need you. Come on, you don't have to scream, but maybe don't whisper. Lift up a little bit of a cry. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my marriage, on my children, on our finances, on our medical situation. Father, have mercy on us, Lord. Lord, pour out in these last days, God, the help that we have need of. Revival in our souls. Revival, God, in our schools. Revival in our church. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you. We need you. We're not okay as things are. We're not satisfied as things are. God, don't let us be lukewarm. We hear you knocking. We say, come on in. Come on in, Jesus. This is your church. We are your children. We are your people. Come on, about 30 more seconds. Press in a little bit. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. Come on, climb a tree. Go out on a limb. Cry out. Hallelujah. Lord, I've been, I've been pushed down. I've been knocked back. But your grace, your grace can lift me up. Your grace can catch me up. Your grace, Lord God. Hallelujah. It's more than just a need. It's a need that's introducing me to your glory. Hallelujah, that I could meet with you face to face, oh God. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's pray together across this house. Those that lifted a hand that said they need to get right with God, I want you to pray especially strong. But everybody that's willing, let's pray. There's no magical words, no formula. You attach honesty in your heart to these words. And let's believe God. Say it with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I'm away from you. Too far. Wash me. Save me. Renew me. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Come on, church, all across this house. Save folk and those trying to get right. Say it with me again a little bit louder. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Give us the miracle of being born again. Make us your child. In Jesus' name. You've got something heavy on your heart. Stay and confess it to the Lord. Be honest with the Lord. Repent specifically of things that have pulled you away. And watch Him give you grace and power to overcome. If you're standing with your family, maybe take them by the hand. We come to you, Lord, as families. We come to you as the children of God. We come to you as a church body. Father, forgive us for self-preservation. Forgive us for self, God, thinking somehow that we, our self-strength was enough. Lord, we are weak and you are strong and you are attracted to our weakness. I need thee. I need thee. I need thee. Friend, I'm not holding you hostage. I just want you to have a moment to encounter the living God. Come on, press in a little bit. I need thee, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. I don't have the advantage of others, but it is my weakness that gives me access to your throne room. I need thee, O oh God. Hallelujah. I'm desperate for you, Lord. I'm desperate for you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, be healed. Be washed. Be cleansed. Be made whole today. Let the miracle worker, let him show up in your life to do more than answer the prayer, but to introduce you to himself in greater glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You don't have to be in a hurry to leave this altar. You stay and pray as long as you want. Amen. It's been such an honor to be here with you this morning. Looking forward to what God's going to do tonight. God bless you.